Father, you are here. We are here, though gathered in different ways. May we all be here together now. In the name of the risen Christ, amen. amen. You may be seated if you're standing at home. I'm going to get a couple people out here so I don't have to preach to one person. Good morning, St. Mikey's. Morning. Good morning. <laughs> Confused? Anxious? Afraid? Stressed? Disappointed? Separated? Angry? Frustrated? Lonely? Sad? Concerned for the future? Uh, grieved? Overwhelmed? Isolated? Just a handful of feelings of emotions that I've heard people experiencing in the last couple of months. There's positive ones. Uh, but things are tending to lean on the side of the negative. And the loss experienced with people is astronomical. It is pervasive. The more I speak to people and hear their stories, I hear loss in their stories in a way I would have never even thought of or considered, depending on their age, their life cycle, where they are in all of this. Where they were before this happened, that this COVID situation just exacerbated. We have definitely economical loss and loss of jobs, loss of life, absolutely. Loss of the ability to actually be with the loved one at the point of their death, what our youth is experiencing, what they're losing from having their final year, especially if you're a senior in high school, and having the final elements of that year, that might seem trivial to someone who's, you know, maybe 35 and up, but for, you know, an 18-year-old, that's a big deal. A major milestone in their life has just been taken at a given moment. And all of this is an outgrowth of the obvious, right? The pandemic and the upheaval it has brought to everyone's life. I mean, going to Publix, and went to Publix this morning, the loss of being able to freely go down any lane you choose has been removed. It's like driving around Manhattan going to Publix. It's this unexpected event that causes us to ask some questions. H how did this happen? Whose fault is it? We like to blame. We need, sometimes we need that, someone to blame. The now what's? Are things going to go back to normal? And for many of us, depending on our situation and how this all has affected us, where's God? Where's, where's God in all of this? Because it's difficult to recognize Jesus when we're experiencing this type of stuff. When we're having these types of feelings and emotions. When we're in these types of circumstances and situations. And this is where we find these two people, these disciples, on the road to Emmaus this morning. They've just experienced an unexpected event. They're walking back home in an attempt to return to some semblance of life before Jesus came along. To pick up the pieces, as Father Rick spoke of on Easter Sunday, to find a new normal without Jesus. It's what they're trying to do. Because in their minds, Jesus is dead. It's over. Done. Finito. Game over. They do not believe 
The story of the women who found the empty tomb and met a bunch of angels who told them that Jesus is alive, they don't believe that. Yes, there were people that actually went and verified the tomb was empty, right? Some of them. Peter being one of them. He went to the tomb. He found the tomb empty. But for them, there's no body. Nobody saw Jesus yet. Not to their knowledge. They didn't see him. So they don't believe. And they're going to try to go home. Pick up the pieces. Because he's gone. He left them. He lied. He lied to us. So they think. They're trying to work this all out as they're walking home, right? They're, they're conversing about this. They're trying to figure this whole thing out. Much like our conversations at the present moment. Name a day you're not speaking about the pandemic or what it's doing to someone's life or your life or what you're listening to on the news or the experts that say this, but the experts over here that disagree. You're trying to, we're trying to figure this thing out. That's exactly what they're doing. And the big question is, where is God in this? For them, where is God in their life at this very moment? Where is he? Because they can't see him. Everything they believed about God is just, it's in pieces, it's in shambles. Where is he? Well, apparently, he's right there. Though they can't recognize it. Listen to the language. I love this one sentence. Jesus himself, that's an emphasis on the presence of Christ. Jesus himself, he did this himself, came near and he went with them. I love that. That Jesus drew near and walks with them in the midst of what they're dealing with. And he does a few things. And I just want to kind of talk about this stuff. What does he do? He does three things when he draws near. He listens. It's the first thing that he does. He's the one who inclines his ear to the voice of their supplication. Like the psalmist said. He listens to their voice. He listens. He listens attentively. He allows them to tell him what he already knows. He allows them, play stupid, to recount the whole story of his life, ministry, death, and resurrection from their perspective. Their evaluation of him, their estimation of the whole thing up until the present point, from their perspective, he listens to that. He lets them process their sadness, their disappointment, their shattered hopes and dreams. They're having an honest conversation with Jesus, and they don't even know it because their eyes were kept from seeing him. They thought he was a stranger. He listens. You know, listening goes a long way, people. We live in a world where most of us are waiting for our turn to speak or we don't even wait. And if we listen enough, we're just ready to fix somebody, correct them, or clobber them with a platitude or something like that. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't do that at all. You know, I had a privilege to participate in an impromptu group on Zoom, of course, because everything's on Zoom these days, with strangers, Complete strangers. And all it was designed for is an opportunity for people to share and process what it is they're experiencing. That's it. Our life circumstances might not even change. But when someone gives you an ear and the time to listen, you feel loved, you feel valued, you feel important. There's something healing about that. 
It's amazing. It's the simplest thing. Well, I think one of the greatest gifts you can give another human being is to listen to them. And here in the gospel morning, what we see is the great listener at work. And he's not just setting them up so that he can correct their theology or clobber them or call them stupid. I know the language might in English might seem strong when he calls them foolish and slow of heart. But if you know Jesus, he doesn't talk to you like that. He doesn't do that. It's tender. And what he's doing is he's making room in their heart so that now he can speak so that he can speak to them and so that they will eventually see him. And how does he do that? He does it in Scripture. He points out in their sacred writings, in their sacred stories, the things concerning, very specifically, himself. They encountered Jesus in the Word. And it's not just an intellectual exercise. Yes, he's correcting a misunderstanding of what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be and do and all of that. But when they reflect back on this moment, what do they say? They say their hearts were on fire. Their hearts burned within them when he spoke to them on the road. They're experiencing the presence of God. God is speaking to them in the midst of their situation. And this leads to the, for them to do something. And what did they do? They invite Jesus in. That's their response. Reminds me of the scripture passage, Behold, I stand by the door and knock. The one who lets me in, I will come in and dine with them and them with me. And that's what happens. They invite him in. The the evening has come. The journey is over. They arrive to wherever they were supposed to be going, the village of Maus. And it was common hospitality and courtesy to invite people into your home. And if you're going to invite people to your home, even to today, you want something to drink, you want something to eat, even more so 2,000 years ago, hospitality included a meal. You served a meal to your guests. And that's what they're going to do. What's fascinating is Jesus takes the role of the host. He switches it all around. He becomes the host and he winds up serving them in their own home. And how does he do that? Well, he does this gesture. Something that he did just a few evenings prior. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to them. And in that moment, there he was. They saw him. Their eyes were opened. It was Jesus all along walking with them. He never left them. He didn't lie to them. And here we are. For the exception of a handful of us, most of us are actually in our homes, just like them. And we are people who need to be heard. We need someone to listen to us. We're people who need to hear a word from Jesus, a comforting word, a word that makes our hearts burn within us so that we can recognize the presence of Christ. And where people need to be reminded that even though it's difficult to recognize God in the current situation or whatever it is that we're going through, that Jesus meets us where we are, that he comes near, and he walks with us in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. He doesn't leave. Um, 
I was thinking about this. A, a famous poem, there's probably the majority of people under the sound of my voice have this plastered on their wall somewhere. It's like the most common Christian wall art there is. Footprints in the sand, does that sound familiar? At first when I thought about this, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cheesy, but it's, I don't think it is. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to read it because I think this is where God wanted me to go with this. One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest of times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Honest conversation. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you left me. You would leave me. And so he whispered, my precious child, I love you. I'll never leave you. Never ever during your trials or testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, of footprints, it was, it was then that I carried you. You know, some of us, man, we're feeling like we can't even walk. It's that bad. And maybe it's going to get worse. I don't know. I don't have the answers. And maybe you need Jesus to carry you. Maybe you need that. And my prayer for this morning is that uh, wherever you are, he carries you to the table. We're going to participate in the table. Yeah, it looks different, but you know what? It looks a lot like this because most of us are going to be in our homes. And we believe Jesus is going to meet you there. We believe that. And then at the table where he promised to meet us in a very special way that your eyes might be opened and that you see that he's the one that never leaves you nor forsake you and he's always going to be with you no matter what. Amen. Amen.